non-conformist is like swimming against the current. It's challenging, it's exhausting and can be scary at times. But just as a fish that swims against the current can discover new territory and find its own path, a non-conformist can break free from the constraints of tradition and create something truly unique and powerful. As Adam Grant writes in his book, Originals, non-conformists are the ones who drive progress and create change in the world. They're the ones who challenge the status quo, question authority and refuse to settle for the way things are. But being a non-conformist isn't easy. It means going against the grain, facing criticism and resistance and taking risks that others might shy away from. And yet, it's only by embracing our non-conformity that we can truly unlock our full potential and make a meaningful impact on the world. In this podcast, I'll be sharing my own experiences as a non-conformist and talking to some incredible guests who have harnessed their own non-conformity to achieve great things. We'll explore the challenges and rewards of being original and look at how we can all tap into our own unique perspectives and talents to create a more innovative, dynamic and inclusive world. So if you're ready to challenge the status quo, break free from the mold and embrace your own non-conformity, then join me with this exciting podcast, The In With The Outsiders. It's time to unleash your inner original and make a difference in this world. Hey, 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 warm welcome to The In With The Outsiders. Today, I'm interviewing a friend of mine, Shannon McLachlan. Now, Shannon McLachlan is not Sarah McLachlan. Like, Sarah McLachlan is a, is a global singer, but she does remind me, our Shannon in studio, of an angel. It's like, in the arms of an angel. That is Shannon. Um, she's a beautiful divine human being. I interviewed her on the Carmen Murray show um, a few years ago back, Shannon. Um, with the Ubuntu Baba mm. situation where your idea, um, yeah, that's a story for another day. Go to the episode. Um, that was quite a lot of drama and a little bit of protest happening, um, you know, in South Africa for small businesses and how, um, larger businesses exploit small, smaller businesses. And, um, you did not hold back. But now it's fascinating to watch your new journey as you, um, you have progressed and, um, you now also embarked on the journey of helping with human development. Um, you call it neuroemotional. So um, without further ado, warm welcome. Tell us what is neuroemotional. What is this all about? And why are you doing it? And what mm. what what is it? Thanks, Carmen. Thanks for the warm welcome. And thank you for having me. I'm so excited to, to be with you again. Yeah, so neuro, I'm a neuroemotional coach. And what does that mean? And why I've, why am I here? Well, I think, you know, being an entrepreneur my whole life and yeah, you mentioned the Ubuntu Baba story and going through that experience and just going through everything that I've kind of gone through in the last five years of my life, you know, like the pandemic, the same kind of time frame, big changes in my business. Um, going through a, a separation from the father of my child and just like dealing with, you know, life itself. I've always been on a, on a self-help journey, if you want to call it that. And just a very curious person, um, looking at all different modalities and, and experimenting with what works well for me. And I landed up, I think it was 2020 where I discovered neuroemotional coaching. Um, I did a short online course and then I realized um, I really liked working with one of the coaches there and I started to explore a little bit deeper with her and I did quite a, a deep dive into emotional sovereignty and what that means and mm. 
I just started to get super curious into the world of neuroemotional brain science. And yeah, it was the basically the modality that for me has made the biggest impact on my life. It's given me tools where, you know, I've done so many therapies before, which have been amazing, um, but they've really just created awareness and educated me on my story and my patterns. But I didn't really feel like I had many tools coming out of um, all those learnings. Um, and I just found that neuroemotional coaching for me just really, you know, one even one session, I'd walk away with something actionable where I would be able to go back into my life and feel like I've got something to hold onto and fall back on for that time while I was going through a very difficult time. And it really wasn't just for my benefit. It was for the benefit of everybody around me as well. There's mm. just like a natural thing that happens when you start to learn the basics of neuroemotional brain science. And the way I related to everybody else started to shift. And um, yeah, it was, it's almost like knowing somebody's love language, but now we are understanding our own brain states and somebody else's brain states and getting to um, understand how that dance works. And so, yeah, it was just so life-changing for me that I decided to study it. Um, yeah, and as of June, I've, I'm now a qualified coach, so I'm really excited about that. I love it. And I, I love <laughs> that, that, that we all can go on these journeys um, and explore something different um, that's not our typical career move, you know. Um, and I love mm. this angle, like neuro-emotional. You know, I remember, I think it was in the beginning of the year, you posted a video on your social media account with Apple's you know, the positivity jar and the negativity oh, jar. Yes. And I watched it and mm. I was like, this can't be real. So I went to go and do the same. I was actually saying, I, I, I want to create a video out of it, but I just don't have time. But um, I did that experiment mm. and I could not believe my eyes. Within three days, <laughs> the positivity jar had a plant growing out of it. And Wow, the, that's um, crazy. It started, you had the two little green leaves and then... Um, I also started realizing halfway through the experiment, you don't even have to speak the words. You just think it. And um, mm. the, one day, the one day I was, um, I was really upset with, with somebody, somebody in my life. <laughs> and I went to go and hold the <laughs> negativity jar. I held it. And I was like, <gasps> and I was really just projecting my negative thoughts in this experience that I was having. And I was just like popping it through to the, um, to the jar and I decided to go for a 30 minute walk and I came back and the, the jar completely popped the lid and it happened about nine times if I'm wow. not mistaken. Um, it's just, it couldn't, it couldn't go down. And from that, the seeds within the negativity jar, um, you know, the apple fell onto the glass inside the jar. So it couldn't grow in its own, um, compost, if I can put it that way. So this mm. negativity jar could do nothing. And then that's when I started realizing, hang on, there's more to this, right? Um, what we think and, and how even the fact that we're not even saying things can have an impact and the energy can actually exude to, to, to whatever mm. you're projecting it to. That was a very profound moment for me. Um, how does this mm. work in your world, in the neuroemotional world, um, in terms of, controlling if i can put it your um subconscious emotional state mm. yeah so i don't know if it's about i think it's you know the word controlling is what you know we typically want to do we want to control our emotions and we want to keep ourselves in check and we want mm -hmm. to 
know everything, you know, instead of feeling into it. And I think what's kind of happened and well, this is what, what I, my knowledge in the neuroemotional world is what has actually happened in society is a lot of us are living in the survival brain states. And I know there's been so much talk about survival state and how do we get out of survival? But I'll explain like in a very simple, in a simple way, if you can imagine your brain has got like three levels, the top level is the executive level. That's where you do all your cognitive thinking, your problem solving, your zooming out, your high perspectives. Um, and then you've got your level two is your emotional state. So you've got your executive, then you've got your emotional. And the only, the only job of the emotional brain is to process emotion. And then below that, you've got your survival brain. And the only job of the survival brain is to keep you alive um, and away from danger. And what has happened is, you know, we live in this world and obviously it's not ultimate the way society is and the way we've set up everything, but we are where we are. And what's happened is our bodies and our brains don't realize that it's safe to process emotion anymore, especially after what we've all been through, you know, the last four years. So in a, in a healthy um, brain, what should be happening is that we are walking down the streets and we're living in executive and um, a car comes flying towards us and our survival brain switches on and we run out of the way so we don't die and the car's not going to hit us. Um, and then if we get home and our, we've got a little child at home perhaps and they're having a rough time and we are able to go down to them having that rough time and be them, be there with them, you know, and be present with them and help them process their emotion. And we go into our emotional brain and we process our own emotion where we need to. Um, and then when we go to our executive brain, that's for doing our work or cognitive thinking. That's what, what has happened is that whenever we receive an emotion, um, we actually aren't staying in our emotional brain. Our bodies are saying to us and our brains are saying to us, it's actually, hang on, this emotion is not safe. You've got some anxiety on board here. I don't have time to process this. Switch straight into survival. Mm-hmm. And survival brain can't process emotion. That's not, doesn't have the job of emotion, of processing emotion. Its only job is to keep us away from danger. And so the brain chemistry in that state is fight flat, freeze, or appease. Those are the only four options available to you. You know, so with the option of fight, if you're processing an emotion and you've got an emotion like sadness on board, how's it supposed to process that if your survival reaction is fight? You just go into a state of fight, you know, instead of actually processing the sadness, allowing that brain state to elevate back to an executive state and then actually making a decision from there once you've processed that sadness, we're not processing the sadness. We're taking it into our bodies. We're holding it there. It's, you know, it's festering and then it's manifesting in a way where we don't actually like that and we're making decisions from a survival state. So our survival brains are really not wired to process emotions. So what happens is when we try to process emotion from there, we land up making, um, you know, clouded decisions from a fear-based perspective because our survival brain is, you know, our our fear center. And it's like, okay, so there's danger here, you know, um, get away and get, become safe again. And, you know, so it will either do, it will either fight the situation. It will try to get away from the situation. It will freeze in the situation and just do absolutely nothing, or it will appease, which means, you know, making decisions to please other people, um, with their needs in mind and not even looking at your needs at all, because it's just trying to get you out of the situation really. 
And so that's not, not where we want to be. It's definitely not how we want to be running our lives. And so the, the job of a neuroemotional coach is to help to co-process with the other person, help um, their brains realize that um, emotion is safe and it's a safe place to be in the emotional brain. And having an emotion like fear, sadness, anxiety, resentment, anger, all those feelings are actually safe feelings. Um, you know, because we come from a society as well where there's a lot of toxic positivity and there's a lot of focus on, um, you know, getting your, your self love in going to the spa and, or sitting down and meditating. And obviously all these things are great and they're amazing, but we can't ignore the in inverted commas bad feelings and the bad energy that's coming mm -hmm. up in our bodies. We can't just suppress that. We need to look at that as well. And the more we can do that, the more we can make space for, all the good stuff in our life. Um, and so with my own personal experience, you know, um, going through all the, the things that I went through, I realized that I wasn't coping. And this is just something for me where I was like, wow, if I actually go into those more darker corners and I start shining a, a light there, I actually experienced relief. I actually am creating more space for the good stuff to live and, and, you know, being able to have space for the joy, you know, I love when they say like, you know, um, joy and sorrow are, are on both ends of the same stick, you know, um, and it's how we relate to all these emotions that allows us to have a more free life where we can have contrast and, and not just sit in like a stuck state. So, yeah. I really find that um, fascinating. I also love the word um, toxic positivity because it's so true. I think, um, you know, if I, you know, as an ethnographer and, and listening in on search and listening in on, on conversations online and communities and what people are saying in order to, to see subcultural trends. Um, I find it mm. interesting that there's this massive thing. Um, and I've actually explored some conversations, um, on the end with the outsiders podcast where, um, um, where we actually look into these things, um, like the spiritual awakening happening, um, and people starting to access their higher self and wanting to do, to dive into the inner feelings, doing their shadow work, um, doing alternative things like psychedelics, um, uh, the other thing, uh, sweat lodges, firewalking, all of those kind of things to actually embrace their fears, to have courage and different people. Mm -hmm are dealing with, with things on a, on a, on a different, you know, a different manner. But one mm. thing that you can't ignore is this fact of how people see things as a trend. And now everybody mm. is on this bandwagon of, oh, I'm a spiritual teacher or I'm, um, you mm. know, I'm, I'm going to, to teach something uh, or I'm going to teach meditation or yoga. And, you know, there's a lot of uproar from the more traditional and cultural side where they're like, this is actually a very sacred pa practice. Um, mm. and, you know, it shouldn't mm. be presented as this one, one method fix all type of thing. It comes with a big, deep journey of diving into self mm. and doing that shadow work mm. and understanding what triggers you. It's like that, you know, the heal, deal with the issue and then, you know, try and heal from it and, and, and find ways of how you can actually rewire your brain to deal with situations. In your experience, mm. looking at what's going on in society, um, how do you think people's brains are currently operating and in, in, from an emotional perspective? Mm. Yeah, I think there's so many people that are are stuck and they don't know why. 
Um, and I think that there's so many people walking around that if you had to ask them, do you think you're operating from a survival space? They would say, no, they, they, they don't think that, you know, um, there's so much autopilot happening, um, because we are just trying to get by and, you know, um, when money is tight, it also, it really affects people and money is tight at the moment, you know, so you could have everything else fine in your life, but money being tight can put a huge pressure on you and that can affect everything else, you know? Um, so I think it's very important that we are constantly diving into, you know, doing, you know, that's why people are doing these things. Like a lot, a lot of people are like, why are people doing firewalking or why are they, trying to go into these painful experiences, you know, and, you know, we need to, to make pain feel safe. That's why they're kind of doing that because they, some people are so stuck that it actually requires physic, putting themselves in a place where they're actually feeling physical pain because they are so numb, you know, and it's, it's definitely not for everybody. And that's why I think it's great that we've got so many options of different ways to explore our feelings. But ultimately at the end of the day, I think that there's the majority of society is operating from a, a state of survival um, and definitely not moving fluidly between brain states, which is what our brains are designed to do. You know, we've got three brain states for a reason and we should be able to elevate through them as we need them instead of being stuck in one state. Um, and I think that's what, you know, going into the pain and making those painful in inverted commas, painful feelings or bad feelings feel like safe spaces to to explore and to just be aware of that is what helps those feelings move you know um why i love neuroemotional coaching so much as well is that it's actually so simple like the the high level of the whole modality is survival brain has one job keep you away from danger keep you alive emotional brain has one job to be seen and to be heard which is processing wow. emotion that's all at once and executive brain is there for the high level thinking. And, you know, it's, it's really actually not so difficult when we've got tools to be able to feel safe in our bodies, to process emotions. But because, you know, I mean, I've been, I've personally probably been living in survival for majority of my life. And only now, you know, 40 years later, am I starting to, to sit back and go, Oh, wow. Like I actually have an awareness that this is where I've been living from. And this is why my life is the way it is. And now I get to look at it and go, okay, cool. I can actually untangle this. I can take steps, move, move forward. And from uh, understanding that, okay, if I take a look at myself every hour of every day and just go, what am I present to right now in my body? What feelings are coming up here? And have two minutes to sit and go, okay, I think I'm actually in a bit of survival right now. Let me use my tools to get me out of survival because I shouldn't be sending emails from this space. I shouldn't be making, you know, financial decisions for my business from this space because that's what we're doing. Mm. Um, and without that awareness, as, as soon as you can do it, it's so, so, such simple exercises to get you out of those states, then you're in a better space and you're like, okay, now let me do what I need to do. And if you can be aware of that, it's really powerful. Like, you know, I take off, I, I don't work five days a week anymore. It's just too much for me. And I'm accomplishing so much more actually by not working five days a week because I'm aware of my brain states because I can, I can self soothe when I need to, you know, like if I'm in a state of survival, I know what I need and I can take a day to do that, you know, mm. and it's that, very powerful. That is, that is, you know, for me, that is kind of like, 
that is what growing up and growing looks like. It's like when you can actually set those boundaries and know to take care of yourself before taking care of the rest of, of the world's needs. Mm. You start with yourself, you know, um, something you just mm. mentioned about this whole thing about turning 40 and I can completely raise my hand and say, biggest shift of my life started happening in my forties. Um, you know, I have changed. I didn't even recognize the person I was before 40. Um, I, I, I many times have to forgive myself for how I was before 40 because now I look at life. I stepped into my masculinity. I, um, I, mm-hmm. I've, I've also learned to, um, to dance with fear using courage. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think this whole, I spoke to John Flismus, um, we're, we're always like these two outsiders talking inside stuff. Like we can have such deep conversations about stuff. And I said to him, you know, you always used to talk about this thing about cognitive dissonance. And mm. I, I, I got it, but I didn't get it. But it's like, this is actually what's really on steroids happening in the world is cognitive dissonance where everybody's mm. in this state of sleeping. And it's almost mm. like they don't want to feel because they, they know that the moment they, they open that can of worms, their whole life is going to change the way they know it. And I think that this is also the type of underlying fear because I think everybody knows the moment you're going to tackle things, you know, your life is going to change. And maybe there's things that you don't want to, um, to, you don't want to have that change in your life. I sat in that position where, there were certain things I just didn't want to happen in my life. And I knew that if I'm going to lean into this feeling, this, this itch inside that something is not right, something doesn't feel right. I'm going to have to, mm. I'm going to have to make some serious changes in my life. And I think that's also mm. an element of this emotional state that people are in, because I think people can see, but they try and ignore. It's like that song from Pink Floyd, you know, I don't need no education. You know, the way they go with the sausages, the people running into the sausage machine, and it's so bizarre. But I feel like that's we're just walking numb into a world that doesn't serve serve us as beings. Mm. And there's no brain chemistry on your side either when you're in survival. You know, like there's there's also so much talk about. People, oh, he's just a victim and he's in such a victim state and he doesn't want to do anything. And, you know, um, and of course there's such a thing as a victim and, you know, there's, there's different ways to approach different things. But from a neuroemotional perspective, if someone's in survival, they have absolutely no brain chemistry on their side. And survival brain as well also does not have any awareness. So a self awareness, it doesn't know it's in survival, you know, because there's, there's not enough, um, I don't know if you'd call it neurons on board, but there's not enough brain activity on board to say, Hey, you're in survival and you don't need to be, you know? Um, and that's obviously got to do with a lot of our childhood wounding, you know, and we were conditioned very young, um, especially, you know, people like us born in the eighties, it was completely normal when someone was crying to say, don't cry, go to your room, be a big girl, be a big boy. Come on, you know, put up, put your big girl panties on, not actually holding space for that, you know, five-year-old that's actually quite scared and experiencing fear. So basically the messaging to the brain is, oh, you're experiencing fear. We don't have space for fear here. Fear is not allowed. Like put that away and come back when you're in a better mood, you know? So that's what we get taught. And that, that translates into adulthood and we aren't aware of that, but you know, that means that we can have, we get confused between intuition and fear now, you know, we, 
we've got everything backwards. And so, you know, fear can come on board sometimes and it can be, we can think it's intuition and we're like, Oh no, that's not for me, you know, and turn away from something, but actually let's sit with the fear. Let's have a little conversation, you know, um, and let's be present to it and see what's actually underneath that fear. Because often underneath, you know, there's, uh, you've got one big fear, one big feeling that you're present to that can be fear. And then when you dig into that fear and you sit with it, you realize, hang on, underneath this fear, there's actually, there's some shame, there's some guilt and there's some deep sadness and actually there's grief, you know, and and then you can, once you're safe and you feel safe exploring feelings, you can kind of go through the whole emotional history of that feeling. And often you'll just get this memory spark from when some random event when you were really young, you know, that's got absolutely nothing to do with the decision you're making now, but it's actually running the show. That little tiny event that happened when, you know, that boy told you that you're ugly or whatever it was, you know, that, that can actually be controlling the fact that you think it's a bad idea to now take this podcast interview or whatever it is, you know, because you've got a bad feeling about it. And that's not intuition, you know, especially as women that we're all like plugged into all this spiritual stuff, which is great, but we also need to use discernment sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. what, 100%. So being, just being present to those feelings. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think, um, one thing that I think is so important is to try where possible to live fearlessly. I mean, when I started, um, I was very fearful with the outsiders where I was like, you know, the conversations that I'm going to have there is not really going to appeal to many people. And, um, I had to go back to my child, my childhood, innocent me and look at her and go, why am I so scared of, 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 of stating what I'm curious about and why, and, and why am I so scared of what people are going to think, whether I please them or mm. not? It's not going to, it's, it, it, I can't control it anyway. So, and, and what I realized mm. was, is that I'm having conversations that's considered taboo under, um, the way that I was raised as a child from a religious perspective. And, um, mm. you know, from a religious perspective, um, it, it was hardcore. Um, you know, the first part was like very staunch in where preach love, but all that comes from that from the uh, from that stage um, is fear. <laughs> and I, as a mm. little girl, wouldn't go to the toilet um, for days, for weeks. I stimmed. I was completely stressed out, and I've always mm. been an empath. I just didn't know I, I was at the very young age, and um, I uh, stopped medication. Um, because I felt like I, I, I actually start taking more than I should. And I don't want mm. to become addicted to, um, all these mental health stuff. I need to deal with this issue. Mm. And I think through that process, a mm. lot of things really started opening up by feeling more. But at the same token, mm. is now I'm seeing more. <laughs> um, and I, yeah. I think. I'm seeing life through a very, very different lens. And it's actually beautiful when you're able to, to understand who you were when you were small and what were those fears. One, just a closing thought. I asked my mom the other day, I said, mom, when I was small, like, you know, was I sensitive or something? She says, oh, no, you were sent to us. Because I said, I remember a conversation through critical incident logging. You, you, you start remembering emotional things that happen. I said, I always remembered mm. you never allowed me to go and play at other people's um, 
homes or anything. And I remember walking in the one day when she was telling one of my friend's moms, I can't go to a party because I'm a, sen- I'm, I'm a sensitive. What? And it started making me realize, hang on, this was something I had when I was small. And then I asked her, you know, what was this about? And she said, you could not watch the news. You couldn't watch anything. You were constantly crying for the world. Like you were just crying the whole time. Mm-hmm. And it was just um, too much for you. And I had to protect you. And I had a completely different opinion on that. I thought that my mom was too strict and I thought that my mom didn't have my best interest at heart. And now I understand. So those mm-hmm. emotions need to, to, to be explored and, and looking at perspectives mm-hmm. too. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, a lot of our memories that we have aren't actually true. You know, there's a lot of studies around our memories and, whether they're true or not is is irrelevant it's the belief that's been instilled behind it you know and and it's all, it's really all about getting good at feeling bad again because if we don't allow ourselves to feel bad there's not enough capacity to to hold the good and the bad starts to take over you know we've got no problem sitting with joy <laughs> we've got no problem having a party with our friends and we we love the feeling of of you know connecting with people um, that's what we just want more, more, more. But it, if, if, if it's becoming like a pleasure seeking experience, because we just don't want to go into the dark areas, then that's where it becomes a problem. Cause we, yeah, we can be addicted to medicine. We can also be addicted to pleasure, you know, and it, anything can, can become a, um, an addiction if we, it's been served from a space of like wounding, you know? So I think it's so important to to gain clarity on why we have the triggers that we do and exploring those triggers and exploring the feelings Mm -hmm. behind that and just getting to the bottom of things so that, you know, it's not like you get fixed, you you go for any modality or any therapy and you get fixed. Like the thing what I love about neuroemotional coaching is that you get to go into these things and you follow a process every time and you start to understand that process so that it becomes a tool for you. And so if you're in at the till at, at you know, Woolworths and your um, cashier is rude to you, for example, you don't blow up at her. You realize, oh, hang on. Oh, my, I have actually got a, quite a dynamic with when people are rude to me in this way. This is what happens inside my body and this is what I'm responding to. And oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember from going into this feeling of, you know, when someone's rude to me and and exploring this feeling that comes up in my body, that this is actually something that happened when I was six years old. And I don't have to take all of that feeling out on this lady now. I can just see her for where she's at, realize that she must also be maybe in a survival brain. Maybe she's had a long day and she hasn't had a lunch break. What do I know? You know, she's taking something out on me and just stopping that, that, um, you know, that train of just like bouncing bad emotions around and just sitting in that space and being like, okay, cool. She's having a bad day. And so thank you very much. I'm so sorry. You must be having a, a rough time. I hope you get off early today. Cheers, you know, and getting on with your day instead of absorbing all of that and matching that energy and then going out and being in a bad mood, you know, for the rest of the day. So that awareness is so important, but yeah, getting, getting into the, I mean, there's been so much talk about inner child and childhood traumas and this, that, the rest, but it's true. Like we need to go there. We need to understand how to get good at feeling bad again so that we can experience the joy that we want to experience, you know? I love that. You know, joy actually comes from a place of going into that emotional keyboard 
you know, and, and looking at everything that has mm. entered into that unconscious emotional brain of yours and, <laughs> and seeing, you know, mm. what belongs there and what doesn't belong there. Um, one, one thing that I also believe is, is super important, um, is senses. You know, sometimes we are picking up informations and sounds and negativity, energy, anything, all of us as human beings. Um, by where we surround ourselves, where we at, and even um, unconsciously, it's happening. And the thing is, you don't just have um, mm. five senses. You, I think there's like sixty of them, um, but there's what they call them: the inner sensing and perception. It's like the the main proverbial um, perception sensories. Um, and mm. you know, having so many senses, I mean, it helps you to make decisions. Um, so from a marketing perspective, we are always, um, talking about this whole, uh, um, systems one and systems two thinking with systems one is where you're on autopilot, where you literally can make a, a, a decision in nanoseconds because there's 40 million millibytes of information going in that's absorbed that you can't even see or hear. It's, it's do, doing it mm. unconsciously. Whereas the systems two thinking process is taking very little pieces of information that you need to think about and process before you can make a decision. So when you buy a car, that process is a long decision-making mm. process where if you buy toothpaste, you just grab it without even thinking, mm. you know what you want. And this is the same, I think, what you're also referring to from an emotional state is this idea of making decisions on an emotional level. And we're seeing this in boardrooms. We are seeing this in... Mm. Um, in, in culture Absolutely. at large is that people are making mm. decisions um, based on what they have allowed um, or, or participated mm. in has created the emotional framework on how they make decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the problem is that business decisions become power struggle decisions, you know, because we we're in the boardroom and then someone says something and then we get triggered and then there's an emotion and then we're like, Oh, emotion's not safe here. Uh, this is not an emotional space, an emotionally safe space. And then instead of bouncing back to executive, we can't because our emotion has not been processed. And because we don't know how to do that and we've got no practice, we can't do it within two, three seconds. We, we need days now, you know, because we've had no practice. So what happens? Okay. No emotion allowed. Let's go do survival. And now my brain chemistry, I'm at the boardroom table. I can either fight, flight, freeze or appease. There's my only four options available. And that's where I'm making the decision from. So now I'm actually making a decision based on a, a wound that happened years ago. That's got absolutely nothing to do with this conversation, but I think I'm making the right decision and I'm, I'm going to hold that. I'm going to hold myself to that, you know? And so we're making our lives harder than they need to be without even knowing it. It's all like, like this emotional debris, you know, it's like, <laughs> mm. it's things that don't yeah. even belong in a conversation that you're having sometimes so many times. Mm. I, I mean, it's fast. I, I really like the way that you explained that, you know, in, in a closing um, thought, I just want to to understand, you know, if you look at emotional evolve evolvement and how far you've come, I mean, you have evolved so much as a human being. Um, and I always watch your, your stories and how you grow and how you expand. And, you know, you're just such a free spirit. Um, and, you know, you are probably one of those pe people that I love where you don't shy away from a from a brave conversation. You're not, you're not scared to entertain them. 
does that bring emotional freedom for you? Um, you know, what is, the, what is the way and how, what is the way that we as human beings can find a way to have emotional freedom to, to know what we are bringing to, to the table is not mm. trauma or it's not something that comes from a, from a mm. historical point of view, but that you consciously sitting mm. in this moment and feeling emotionally free and knowing that you've, you've arrived, you know, that, okay, I'm feeling mm. fine, even though I'm fearful, even though I'm joyful or, mm. you know, does it make the question mm. make sense? It's such a good question. So emotional freedom, I think let's just define that. So like for me, the way where I'm at now, and thank you for saying such kind things about me. Um, like I feel that I, experience a much wider range of emotions now than I ever did. Um, that's not to say like, you know, a lot of people think and assume, Oh, so she's a neuroemotional coach and she's got her shit together, like far from it. You know, the only difference now is that I allow myself to go deeper in, into the emotions. I cry a lot more now than I ever have before. I, um, I take more time where I can to process what I need to. I'm very intentional with, with my, my understanding of my brain states and how to work with it. So for me, emotional freedom for me is that I have done enough work through this coaching and really like it doesn't need to be years of work. Like understanding the very basics is really good enough. And I can tell at any moment during the day, whether I'm in survival, emotional or executive. So if I've got something that I need to do, which is requiring cognitive thinking, and I've really got a lot of anxiety on board, or I've got a lot of like emotion on board in any sense, I know that this is not the right time to, to do some, you know, cognitive work. And so I tend to that brain state in me. And so that's given me a lot of freedom because Say, for example, I'm in a business conversation and I start to feel things happen in my body. I can tune into that immediately. And so my response, if someone's saying, okay, well, you need to let us know, like we need to know. My response right then is if I know I'm in survival or if I've got emotion that I still need to process before I get back to executive, my response will be different. So mm -hmm. I'll be like, look, I know you're under pressure. Give me five minutes. Um, let me just sit down in a little bit of silence here and I'll get back to you in five minutes because I can, if, if that's how tight the deadline is, I won't just say, okay, yes, yes, just let's do it because I'm doing that from a space of appeasing them. Then I'm just pleasing them because I'm trying to meet their needs, but I'm not looking after my needs. So I'm just able to take little pauses now so that I know that I'm, I'm making a decision from a unclouded space, you know, um, like you said earlier, dancing with fear. I think it's so important to to just be present to what's going on in your body and what emotion is coming up and taking those pauses, you know, to just sit with it and to just just sit and go, okay, in this minute right now, I can feel I'm definitely got my heart is beating fast, my hands are sweaty. Um I've got like a dry, I, I need some water, you know, just little bits and pieces like that. And just tending to those very small needs. It's, it sounds silly, but just being present to that and taking a sip of water and being like, okay, thanks for being on board here. Great. Got you. You're not running the show though. I'm actually, I'm going to, mm. I'm going to deal with you later when I've got more space. But right now, thanks for being present. I appreciate you, but I don't need you in this moment, you know? So just, wow. and and it's all got to do with your relationship with yourself. Like you said earlier, like 
I think your relationship with yourself is the most important relationship. And I've also, I work with coaches all the time. Like I had a coaching session this morning, <laughs> you know, I, I am so, I love working with them because, you know, there's also this whole thing around codependence and you've got to be independent in this world. And for me, I'm like, why do we, like, why is nobody coming to save us? Why can't we process with somebody? That's how it's meant to be. Humans are meant to connect. You know, we're processing with someone and letting somebody else see you and hear you from a non-judgmental space and guiding you back to an executive space. That's so helpful. Like, that's what I want. Like, so yeah, that's for me, emotional freedom. And also um, putting myself in the company of people who are also, you know, doing this work, not knowing as well, like that was a big thing for me, knowing who to go to when I've got emotion on board, who can I sit with that's going to be able to sit and say like friends of mine, that's going to be like, oh, wow, yeah, sure. I can understand that instead of being like, well, you know what you should do? Because that's what, I don't want that. That's not what the emotional brain wants. I don't want a solution here. I just want you to hear me and see me like, so I can process this and then come up with my own solutions. So that's really what, what ne the neuroemotional modality is about is, is just getting more sovereign with our own emotions and being able to become friends with them. I love this, this thing that you said in the beginning, which is this whole thing about emotional sovereignty. Um, you know, I, I, it's actually such a powerful word um, or, you know, mm. phrase that, that really just makes you feel safe um, and, and also know that we are actually um, spiritual beings having a human experience. Um, and mm. part of that experience is to feel and is to be here to experience all of those things. Um, we're not always going to get it right. And I don't think anybody can just get it right. I would be very skeptical if you actually get it right all the time, because mm. then I would feel like, uh, ah, yeah, this is mm. not real, you know? Um, but the one thing mm. I wanted to add to your story was this, um, um, uh, this, this thing that you, you mentioned that, you know, we need to connect. And it's so fascinating that we as human beings are the only human be or the only species on this planet that, that can't give birth by ourselves. We always need somebody to help mm. us to give birth. Um, and, you know, as women, but I mean, like it, it needs to be a, a joint partnership in order to do that. So I've also learned codependency is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a, it can be a good thing too. I've mm. studied um, numerology for, um, sorry, I've studied numerology for uh, eight months and I've learned so much about this journey and mm. also learning about, you know, how the numbers have energies and, you know, the emotions attached to certain numbers and so forth. And it's, it's also fascinating mm. to see it at play um, and how it functions mm. in, in the world. Um, the reason I'm, I'm bringing that up is because that's where I learned that, that, you know, the number two, for example, is a number that's codependent, but it can be a good number two or a bad one. Um, where two can mm. be the partnership, but on the other side, the two can be the codependent. And, you know, when you see twos in the day or you see twos on your birthday, you know, that's a kind of mm. things that, you know, that, that will play off. But I mean, it's far deeper than that. Um, when you're going to, new, mm. I mean, it took me eight months and I think I'm going to need 50 years to actually become a proper yeah. practitioner. It's intense. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, oh, can I add something about codependence there? Yes, go what ahead. I love what you, what I love um, about, you know, when people talk about codependence and when people talk about anything, like any subject really is 
for me, the thing that I've learned through this work is the most important thing is where, where is the intention coming from? Like, are you doing this from a wounded space to, mm. to try and fill some, something, you know, or are you doing it from an intentional space? Like, you know, people can, can get addicted to yoga, for example, and just that's all they want to do. They're so addicted to yoga and they're doing it from a wounded space. But if you are doing yoga because you're doing it from an intentional space, because, you know, it's a completely, it's just completely different and being aware. So if you're not aware of the wound, you wouldn't know, you know, if you haven't done this work, you could be doing something and feeling great about it. But then one day there's a nervous breakdown or, you know, your life falls apart and you're like, why? Because we haven't explored those wounds. So not waiting for, these these breakdowns to happen actually just realizing that this work is it's actually part of being human like feeling and processing good and bad stuff is part of being human you know and in that it's the same thing with codependence we can be completely addicted to another person or we can be in you know a committed relationship with another person whether it's a friendship or whether it's a romantic relationship or child parent child relationship dependency is good in when it's coming from the right place, you know, that we can depend on one another. We can trust one another to be there when we down, you know, just because you are super sad and it doesn't mean like sometimes emotional sovereignty can have, uh, you know, people can be like, well, that means you need to be independent and not lean on anybody else when you're having a bad emotion. No, that's not what it means. It means that you are sovereign enough to know that if you need someone, you can reach out. You aren't necessarily mm. alone in the world. You know, there are people out there you can lean on. Yeah. 100%. I, I also, I think one of the biggest lessons that I've also learned on the flip side of, of that is, you know, telling your story and who you tell it to is also very mm. important. You know, although I, I understand mm. from a concept from emotional sovereignty, I also feel Sometimes we must also have the discernment, as you mentioned earlier, to mm. know who to tell your story to, because you also don't want to burden yeah. people with your emotions if you're not in a good state, emotional state, and somebody else is not mm. in a good emotional state or not emotionally free, if I can put it that way. Um, yeah. It could it could have consequences. And I the, the only reason I said that because I did that. I I'm guilty. I put my hand up where mm. I would just tell my story to mm, everybody. And it's too. not yeah, it's like <laughs> it's too. not meant for everybody, you know? Yeah. And sometimes you just I think it's part of the journey, person. you know. Yeah. I mean I'm ashamed of myself, but I mean I can't change that. But now <laughs> but now I'm like, okay, I'm very cautious in in, in how I tell my story, who mm. I tell it to, who I'm burdening with it. And if I'm it, and do I burden them, you know, um, because sometimes people also need to, you know, you need to make sure that whoever you're telling that story to doesn't feel that they ha have to take responsibility for whatever you're telling them, but mm -hmm. that it's just a, a, a holding space, you know? Yeah. And there's such a lovely tool you can use. Like what I've learned is this, this most simple thing. Like when you go to a friend, if you've got something on board, you can say to your friend, like, Hey, I've got something that I just, I really need somebody to just listen. Uh, would you be willing to just let me offload on you right now? Do you have the space for it? I'm not looking for any advice. Like really, I don't want to burden you with you actually giving me advice. All I'm looking for yeah. is a friend to just sit and be like, Oh my God, hectic. I'm so sorry. You had a bad day. Can you do that for me? 
And of course, like a friend would say, of course I can. Yeah, no, it's actually, it makes it easier for them. They're like, oh, amazing. You don't want my advice. You just want me to sit and listen. Great. Let's go, you know, <laughs> and, and it's so simple. Instead of us just sitting down and being like, oh my God, this is my problem. Blah. And then they're like, yeah. geez, like how am I supposed to solve this for her? And then they try and solve it. And then that makes you feel worse because you're like, that's not what I was looking for. <laughs> you know? But exactly. just tell them what you need. <laughs> I, I love that. I think we. I, I think that's also putting that intent out. You know, this is what I, I want the outcome to be. It's not to be like preached to or anything. I just want to download. Um, and yeah, hundred percent. And <laughs> and do you have the space? Can I have yeah. your permission? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if your phrase is "listen," I've heard the story too many times. Don't you? Yeah, you know. <laughs> Don't you think it's sometimes time for you to actually go and do something, or maybe you should go and talk to a professional about? Because I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Exactly. You know, I mean, like I've been there. I'm sure you've been there as well. Mm. Where you sometimes tell somebody the same story over and over. And um, I, I did that one day, and then um, a friend of mine said to me, "You know, I've heard this story quite a few times now. <laughs> it's the, it's on, it's on repeat. I'm starting to wonder." <laughs> um, um, well, you know, know, the deeper the the deeper the trauma, the more <laughs> the emotional brain wants it to be seen, and that's it. That's why we need to tell stories, and we need people to listen. It's part of the process. Yeah, and I, it's true. So it and makes I, sense. It's, but I mean, now now I feel like okay, right. I I try not to to not that I I mean I when I have my emotional moments I can be very emotional some days but when I have those moments I will I will go I will I will go there <laughs> but I try yeah I try to to to, uh, to hmm, I don't know I like the idea of living in the moment as much as I can I think that is one mm. thing that really makes a difference especially you know, when you're around organizations, businesses, consumers, dealing with things. I mean, uh, just on a side note, mm. like with netnography, right? I, mm. uh, as an empath, needing to go through two, 300,000 messages of people to understand the pulse of people's emotional states, mm. where they're at, what, what's, what's this, this, this emotions bubbling up or the, the behavior, et cetera. You know, it does get to me. I, it gets to me big time and I had to learn how to, mm. how to deal with it and being emotionally mature about it and say, okay, right, this is not my emotion. And I love my sage and I love all of my, mm. my little rituals that I've created for myself. But I also realized mm. that it's not necessarily that ritual that's going to fix it. It's the application of the ritual, but it's more about the work that you do. Does it make sense? Mm. And it's about, um, yeah, and it's it's about uh, regulating your own nervous system beforehand and knowing, okay, I'm going to do this work now. I, I can't do this from a survival state. I can't do this from an emotional state. I need to be in my executive brain. So just giving your nervous system the space to be regulated, whatever those rituals are that you do for yourself, but supporting yourself in a way that once you sit down, you're grounded and you're like, right, I'm ready for this now. Not sitting down with like a whole emotional thing on board being like, oh my God, I'm so pissed off with this person yesterday. Okay, let me do this work. Like it's going to affect you differently. <laughs> you know, you won't be able to hold it. Yeah. That's so it's so great true. that you've got that and you've developed that. It's amazing. I had, there was actually such a profound, um, you know, interview because I mean, I love this whole idea of neuroemotional. I think it's so important. I think that it's something that can help so many people. You know, it's the one mm. thing that we as a society are really battling with is being 
um, in control of our emotions the best way we can, whether mm. it's good or bad. But I also think the vocabulary is important. You know, um, yeah. well, um, I want to close off with a, with a story. One of my friend's uh, children was uh, bullied by another child. And instead of her getting upset about it, she realized, she went to go and see the parents, that this child didn't have an emotional vocabulary. He didn't know mm. how to express his emotions. He didn't understand. Mm. And, and, and this is so, so true. We are, we're not raised with emotions and, and to know this is a feeling, this is a feeling. I mean, there's hundreds of feelings, mm. but we all, all, mm. only have a list of 10 that we usually all use, right? And mm. it's, it, it's, mm. it's it, it, you mentioned it earlier, it's like expanding on that emotional feelings and emotional vocabulary and knowing what type of emotions are you actually dealing with when you feel? Um, and mm. through that, they were able to address the bullying by actually just helping the child to understand emo his emotions. And, and that to me is so powerful. Mm. I mean, that's just such a teaching moment, you know, like such a simple moment like that can be solidified in a child's life. And if it's never addressed, that can cause wounding that he's sitting in the boardroom and someone says something totally normal, but for him, it's now he feels bullied. So he's like pulls back and doesn't, doesn't get the raise or whatever, you know, because someone bullied him. And, and that's his belief is that if someone says this word or raises their voice in this way, then I'm being bullied, you know, um, whereas parents that are emotionally in tune can actually take that situation and, you know, rewire it in a, in a positive way, which is just so amazing for those children that they've got parents like that. Yeah. And I mean, we can, and the thing is, if you have this misperception, you can go out in the world, like we see in the world where, where people are online mm. bullying each other all the time. It's, it, it's yeah. hectic. Mm. And when, when you do that, it's, it's, it's because maybe you actually don't understand how to, on the mm. other flip side of things is how to express yourself emotionally and to feel emotionally what you, what you need to feel. Because yeah. if you don't feel your voice is being heard, you're going to bully. Mm. Yeah, and it comes straight back to brain states. Like keyboard warriors are definitely in emotional or survival state when they're when they're being those keyboard warriors. You know, like they they used to say in the in the course that I did, um, the survival brain is an asshole and it doesn't tell the truth. You know, so just because people are <laughs> saying like I hope you die, you know, on the, on your comments, it doesn't actually mean that they want you to die. But that takes you to be able to recognize that. But you know, when they are in a triggered state, that's what's coming out, you know? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a, a lot of learning and unlearning to do for our society and for, for all of us. So I'm going to close off on a, um, by just saying, thank you so much for joining me today and having this conversation and always being so open and vulnerable and sharing, you know, your experiences. It was so lovely and refreshing. What I wanted to ask you is if anybody wants to reach out to you, how do they get hold of you? Um, yeah, easiest way is Instagram, really. Shannon Mary Mac on Instagram. Um, and then my website as well, shannonmerrymac.co.za. And thank Excellent. you for having me. It was a great conversation. Thank you so <laughs> much. It was I love you, boo. You must have a wonderful day. <laughs> love you too, girl. Thank you.